This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. But Father Time remains undefeated. I'm no longer the young man sitting in the back hoping colleagues would remember my name. It's time for the next generation of leadership. And with that, a Capitol Hill bombshell. Mitch McConnell, the longest serving Senate leader in history, will be stepping down. But who will fill the vacuum in a toxic political town? Construction crackdown after prosecutors say a sham safety school certified thousands of New York City construction workers. And with Black History Month coming to an end, a story you may not have heard about a young school teacher who integrated New York's transit system by refusing to get off a Manhattan streetcar a full century before Rosa Parks. Good evening. I'm Josh Einiger, and we have a lot to talk about on Eyewitness News Extra Time. But first, we are in an AccuWeather alert tonight. February is going out like a lion with heavy rain, a gusty winds, and a dramatic drop in temperatures. Let's get the latest from Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg. Lee, how bad will this be tonight? You know, Josh, I think it could be a lot worse to tell you the truth, you know, especially given what we saw in Chicago last night and the potential of the squall line. I'll tell you why I don't think it'll be the worst case scenario. Gusty downpours are going to be moving through through the evening hours, but nothing like the tornado operation like we saw across northern Illinois and into southern Michigan last night. We still have a big temperature contrast. This front is separating 60s from 30s here, but last night it was separating 80s from single digits. There was uh, it was a little bit more dynamic. And the other thing is the front gets closer to the East Coast. It's being influenced by this marine stable ocean air mass in place, and I think that's also knocking down some of these showers. Regardless, the temperature impact is going to be pretty substantial. We'll go from 59 today down to 32 by morning with wind chills in the teens and 20s. That will be one of the biggest impacts. This is a look at the northern state near Lake Success. The camera's been shimmering around. It's been gusty on the island. There's been some fog, too, stretching from the island of Connecticut. We're at 58 degrees right now, and the wind has been picking up. There have been some gusts that have been going past 30 miles an hour, and a lot stronger gusts. These are 40, 50 mile per hour gusts across central Pennsylvania with the actual front. So an advisory is right through tomorrow morning. So it's not just with the line of showers this evening that the gusts come in. It's even through tomorrow morning. It's rather blustery. The strongest winds may be right behind the front when we see at 11 o'clock, a lot of 40 mile per hour gusts. There are the wind gusts with the actual front this evening. Yeah, they're impressive, but look at how they're through the roof overnight with some gusts over 40 miles an hour. Remains windy into the day tomorrow, only to see the winds finally relax late day and into tomorrow night. All right, here's that all-important radar. There's some steady rain on the east end, but all attention is now to the squall line moving across eastern Pennsylvania. But what I've noticed across the past hour or so is it just as look a little more fractured and weaker? There are definitely some downpours with gusty winds, but they're not damaging. It's actually worse getting into the Poconos and Catskills. And you can see a lot of the damage reports that just stopped once it got across the Appalachian. So we'll get some gusty downpours, but I think we'll avoid a lot of the damage. It's still a rough time to be on the roadways this evening, but again, not worst case. So there's the line approaching the Delaware water gap by the time we get to seven o'clock. It's probably, this might be a touch fast on the timing. It might be in the eight o'clock hour towards nine o'clock 
across New York City, Connecticut, Western Long Island, down the Jersey Shore between 8 and 10 o'clock on the island. Just some leftover rain after that and then the gusty winds that are coming in. By morning, we're around freezing, feeling like teens and 20s. Sunny to partly cloudy skies on your Thursday. Not a bad day, but it's blustery. It's bright. We're around 40. It feels like freezing because everything's moving so quickly. Additional rainfall totals are not going to be that bad. We had a half inch last night and through the whole day today. We haven't had that much. We'll probably have another maybe 10th to a third of an inch across the area. So 32 tonight, gusty downpours this evening, turning much colder. Some icy spots will develop late if the winds can't blow everything dry. 40 degrees, blustery and colder, sunny to partly cloudy tomorrow and another cold night tomorrow night. The best day in the seven day. It's the first day of March. Josh said that February is ending like a lion. Well, March is coming in like a lamb. Sun and some high thin clouds, 49. The weekend's mild, but it's a lot of clouds. There's probably some rain Saturday afternoon. Sunday could be okay with really no, not much rain and just mostly cloudy skies in near 60. Some drizzle on Monday, mostly cloudy Tuesday and on Wednesday, some late day rain. But all these days, Josh, through the first week of March, look well above average into the 50s. So just be careful tonight. Try not to travel between about 7 and 10 o'clock. Back to you. And I know, Lee, you're going to have updates throughout the night on ABC7 New York and again in Eyewitness News tonight at 11. You Thanks, Lee. Mm -hmm. We do have breaking news in Washington and a major decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. Within the past hour, justices have agreed to take up former President Trump's sweeping claim of immunity. The decision not only impacts future federal criminal cases, but also the presidential election. The Trump strategy has been to try to delay the criminal cases against him. And for perhaps the biggest case, the Supreme Court decision today could cause a significant delay. The court announcing late this afternoon it will decide whether a former president can enjoy presidential immunity for conduct committed while in office. A three-member appeals court already unanimously ruled against the former president and his only hope to overturn that ruling is in the Supreme Court, which will now hear oral arguments on, on April 22nd. If it overturns the ruling, that case would be over, but if it upholds it, that means the likely Republican presidential nominee could be on trial during the Republican National Convention. So think about the United States versus Nixon, another case involving a president making sweeping claims of immunity. Um, and the court in 1974 decided that case three weeks, less than three weeks after the oral argument. So we could get a quick decision, say in early May, but that would still require the trial court to resume proceedings and move things along very, very quickly. The case in question was brought by special counsel Jack Smith, who alleges Trump and six co-conspirators pressured state officials to change electoral votes won by Joe Biden. It is, of course, just one of four criminal cases against the ex-president. And there was more seismic news out of Washington today. The longest-serving Senate leader in history, Mitch McConnell, a Kentucky conservative who's led Republicans in the Senate since 2007, well, he has announced that he will step down from the role after this fall's elections. McConnell turned 80 last week, but he gave no specific reason for the timing of his decision. ABC's M. Wynn is live in Washington with the latest. M. Josh, Senator McConnell's announcement is sparking waves across Washington. Reaction is pouring in. We've hear, heard from President Joe Biden, who says that he is sorry to hear the Republican leader is stepping down soon. So I stand before you today, Mr. President, and my colleagues, to say this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. The Kentucky senator informed his colleagues that while he will serve out the rest of his term, which ends in 2027, he will no longer serve in leadership. 
Mitch McConnell, who turned 82 last week, was elected the Senate's top Republican in 2007. Over the years, he almost single-handedly helped deliver major legislative victories for the GOP. A defining part of his legacy will be his reshaping of the ideological balance of the nation's judicial system, especially the U.S. Supreme Court. Through McConnell's actions, the high court is now a conservative supermajority. After the death of Justice Antonin Scalia in 2016, McConnell refused to consider President Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, in the final year of Obama's second term. He kept that vacancy open until the election of President Trump, who nominated Neil Gorsuch. And in the final months of Trump's presidency, McConnell allowed him to nominate Amy Coney Barrett after the death of liberal justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Democratic critics called it a double standard. But after January 6th, McConnell broke with Trump, denouncing him for causing the insurrection. While other Republicans have endorsed Trump, McConnell so far has not. But there also have been questions about his health. Twice last year, McConnell appeared to freeze mid-sentence during press conferences. I'm no longer the young man sitting in the back, hoping colleagues would remember my name. It's time for the next generation. When he finished today's remarks, both Democrats and Republicans giving him a standing ovation. McConnell says his goal is for Republicans to retake the Senate so the next GOP leader will be the majority one. Josh. So and from what you reported, his record would indicate that Donald Trump should love him. But obviously, there's no love lost between the two men and the MAGA crowd can't stand him. So with an increasing sort of Trump wing in the Senate, who's likely to, to come in to lead the Republicans now? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I'm sure they've been thinking about this for weeks, as we have seen a lot coming from McConnell in the past few months. Now, this race to try to replace McConnell will certainly be kicked into high gear. We're looking really closely at three lawmakers. They're kind of known as the three Johns here on Capitol Hill. That's John Thune and John Barrasso. That's the number two and number three Senate Republicans here on Capitol Hill. And then there's John Cornyn, who used to be the former whip for Republicans here in the Senate. Now, he, of course, is someone who has been highly regarded as someone strong, a strong member for McConnell's leadership. So we're going to be watching out closely for uh, the representative, the Senator John Cornyn. Now, moving forward into November, when McConnell does decide to step down, that's when Republicans then would take a secret ballot vote. It's going to be closed doors. So we're not going to be able to see what happens behind those doors. But they're going to be taking this vote behind closed doors. And at that point, the majority would then elect a new Republican leader, Josh. It's a such a huge deal with such a big battle shaping up for control of the Senate in November. It'll be a very interesting several months. And Win, reporting from Washington tonight. Thanks, Em. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, this Wednesday night, a big bust at a bogus safety school. Prosecutors say the company promised certifications for thousands of construction workers, but it was all a scam. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? 
The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. And welcome back to disturbing news that a Manhattan grand jury has indicted six people at a company that trains construction workers on safety or at least it's supposed to. Instead, prosecutors say the company gave bogus safety certificates, about 20,000 of them, to untrained construction workers in some of the most dangerous jobs in New York City. And prosecutors say one of those workers died in a fall from a building. Eyewitness News reporter Janice Yu has the story. A company called Valor Security and Investigations is accused of running a sham construction safety training school, allowing its students to pay between $300 to $600 to forego the city's 40-hour construction safety requirement. Valor issued safety certificates to approximately 20,000 students between December 2019 and April 2023. In a word, uh, this is unacceptable. If the DOB permanently revokes Valor's registration as a training provider, all 20,000 safety cards will become invalid. Regardless of anything you may assert, it's in your best interest to immediately begin retraining. 19 people, including a NYCHA foreman and two master plumbers, are now charged for acting as brokers. Valor and six executives and employees are charged with enterprise corruption, among other things. And four of them are charged with reckless endangerment for the death of Ivan Frias, a construction worker who fell 15 stories to his death in 2022. Valor submitted documentation that falsely represented that a 36-year-old construction worker had completed 10 hours of safety training including eight hours of fall protection, when in fact Valor had never trained this worker. Investigators say the president of the company received nearly a million dollars, likely from the sale of those cards, and used the money to buy homes, luxury cars, and jewelry. Uh, I think every New Yorker has a right to be a little bit disgusted. In Lower Manhattan, Janice U, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. A lot more to come on that, and as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time tonight, she could be the nation's first freedom rider. More than 100 years before Rosa Parks, Elizabeth Jennings integrated New York City's public transit system. The story of an unsung civil rights hero. Next. As Black History Month comes to a close, we wanted to shine a spotlight on an unsung hero. And it's a story that goes all the way back to July of 1854. Elizabeth Jennings, a 27-year-old black school teacher, boarded a Third Avenue Railroad Company horse car in Lower Manhattan. Soon after boarding, Jennings was ordered to get off the car and was told to wait for a car that served African-American passengers. She ignored the conductor's orders and resisted his attempts to remove her. Eventually, she was forced off, but she took her case to court and won. The Graham story is detailed in America's First Freedom Rider, Elizabeth Jennings, Chester Arthur, and the Early Fight for Civil Rights by historian Jerry Mike Arenda. Jerry joins us now live. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you, and it's great to close out Black History Month with a story like this. You know, everyone's heard the story of Rosa Parks, but this is something that many people haven't heard. Why is that? Um, well, I think because, it, you know, she's just not all that well known and her family uh basically you know all the, the relatives uh died died off uh, early so it, it was kind of lost in a lot of uh history that came after you know right after this the civil war starts 
Then we have a, the whole golden age of uh, a gilded age in New York City, and then you know World War One. So this kind of gets buried uh, mm. along with a lot of history in New York St City. Because let's face it. Uh, we're always tearing things down and, and rebuilding New York City, so it's always something new, right? Right, and, and yet, and yet, it's it's a it's such a historic place. Tell me a little bit about about Ms. Jennings. Well, she was a New York City school teacher, an early feminist, a civil rights advocate, and I would say a rebel woman. And when she wins her case, Frederick Douglass writes, "The reason she wins is because she's from good old New York stock, and that New York stock comes from her family. It starts with her father." who was the first African-American to receive a U.S. patent. He was a tailor. He invents an early version of dry cleaning, and he uses his money to help abolitionist causes. He's uh, very uh, integral in the end of trying to end slavery in New York State in 1827. Her mothers and sisters were members of a literary society that helped raise funds to free slaves. Her abolitionist brothers were up in Boston, and they worked on anti-slavery causes with Frederick Douglass and William Nell, who were well-known abolitionists. And I think even more importantly sometimes than, than this uh, case is Elizabeth started the first kindergarten for black children in 1895 here in, in uh, New York State. And those uh, kindergartens went on long after she died. So she had an impact on people who don't even know her. And of course, in, in, in 2019, uh, under the She Built New York program, she was awarded a statue in Manhattan, and we're working on trying to get that done now. That's amazing. So, you know, it's uh, it actually wasn't all that long ago that the MTA didn't exist and public transportation was all privately owned, but this was a long time ago that this happened. It was very early. She took her case to court, sued the driver and the conductor and the railway system and, and, and won. Talk a little bit about how uh, once there became a subway, everything was already integrated because of that court decision. This, this was such an early, uh, you know, fight in the, the battle to integrate. Yeah, and I think that's important to remember because, you know, when, when Lincoln comes to, um, and, uh, to make his famous Cooper Union speech in 1860, you know, he was a very observant guy, and he comes around and he looks at New York, and he sees that, that you know, all these different races, we're all living together. We're sitting on uh, horse cars. People aren't fighting. They're all getting together. They're all almost like the one house that he's going to talk about. So I think that it, that, that really is important that it happened so early. And um, the thing is, though, that that case was by far not a, a, a given that, that she would win it. You know, New York was a very conservative area, uh, state back then. And, um, you know, nobody had won their cases. And a lot of famous uh, uh abolitionists and, and, and black leaders were also thrown off at things. I'll just give you a, a couple of examples. Sojourner Truth, Harry Tubman, Frederick Douglass himself, the Reverend W.C. Pennington, and David Ruggles were all thrown off and sued railroad companies, and they all lost. So why would Elizabeth, this little-known school teacher, come up against a powerful third Avenue Railroad, which in 1854 made more than a million dollars off of the nickel fares? Wow. They seemed to own New York. So... Uh, how could she possibly win that case? It's such an inspirational story of fighting against the system. And, and of course, her lawyer was uh, her 24 year old lawyer went on to become president of the United States, Chester Arthur. So there's so much here. You've detailed it all in your book, America's First Freedom Rider. Jerry Micarenda, it's a great pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you. And as we continue with uh, Eyewitness News Extra Time on this Wednesday night, New York City's crackdown on illegal cannabis stores is now focusing on social media. Why Governor Kathy Hochul is calling out companies like Meta and Twitter.
A new campaign tonight to crack down on dope shops in New York, stores that are illegally selling marijuana without a license. Governor Hochul is on a mission to stop that. One way, calling on social media platforms to stop promoting these unlicensed marijuana shops. Eyewitness News reporter Kimberly Richardson has the story. Licensed cannabis dispensary Conbud is new to the game, but calling foul in what is no doubt a budding industry. The shop at the corner of Delancey and Orchard is surrounded by illegal smoke shops, roughly 71 in a six block radius, the highest concentration in New York State. If we just look at the pure economics of it, they are siphoning money from illegal and legitimate system that was meant to rectify the harms that the war on cannabis has created. Top of mind, fixing that system many feel is broken. Today, Governor Kathy Hochul zeroing in on search engines like Yelp and Google. Looking for a dispensary? Jump online and you'll find them, but there's no way of knowing which is and isn't legit. The governor wants to instead give these platforms a list of legal vendors to post, cutting out illegal operations. It normalizes a culture of lawlessness and erodes the trust and cohesion upon which our society is built. Another obstacle? Call it cannabis whack-a-mole. When authorities shut down unlicensed shops, some reopen the very next day. Fines take time to collect, during which the businesses can remain open. They can appeal their fines, they can appeal their closure, everybody gets due process. But while that plays out in the courts, they would be shuttered. After a lull in openings due to litigation, things are once again picking up. Since December, 50 new state-approved shops have opened up. By the end of this week, 30 more. Kimberly Richardson, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Now to the fight over in vitro fertilization and a big backlash after the Alabama State Supreme Court ruled frozen embryos are children under state law. Madam Senate President, Democrats have now introduced a bill to not. protect patients Madam and President. medical providers. Same it's also a measure, it's a measure also yeah. supported, I should say, by Congressman Josh Gottheimer of New state. Jersey. And New Jersey reporter Tony Yates has more. On the Senate floor for a vote today, Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth's Right to Build Families Act. She understands firsthand. After a decade of struggle with infertility post my service in Iraq, I was only able to get pregnant through IVF. Experts say Alabama's Supreme Court decision to consider embryos as children opens the door for doctors, patients, companies that ship or store embryos to be prosecuted if embryos fail to remain viable. Families in Alabama are now talking about shipping frozen embryos out of state to avoid government intervention. We are making one thing clear to them, not so fast. Congressman Josh Gottheimer accusing far-right politicians and conservative judges of stepping way out of line. It's about those who think they know better than the medical professionals behind us. The congressman standing with fertility specialists at Valley Hospital to say protections must be put in place. We have reassured our patients that we're committed to continue to provide all forms of fertility treatment, including IVF. In Alabama, those against the court's decision rallied. What happens here today in these offices will be looked at by the rest of the country. Like the congressman who's proposing legislation to protect families, doctors and medical facilities from prosecution involving any IVF treatment, the right for women to have access to reproductive care and contraception, and he wants to make Roe v. Wade a national law. 
I know these have been dark times for families, but I'm confident that if we work together and stand together, we can bring hope and light back to a dark moment in our nation's history. The congressman plans to bring those bills to the floor in the next few days. In Paramus, Tony Yates, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Back here in New York, the city should modify its status as a sanctuary city. That's the startling admission by none other than Mayor Adams himself. The mayor says migrants who commit serious crimes should be deported. But right now, existing law prohibits the city and city officials from cooperating with federal immigration agents if a foreign national is charged with a crime. City Council has shown no interest in modifying these laws. We are not considering laws, changes to laws. These laws have been in effect for decades. We believe in them. We also feel that public safety, of course, is of utmost importance. An estimated 150,000 migrants have poured into the city during this border crisis. The city says it has cost more than $10 billion. And that wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thanks for joining us. I'm Josh Einiger. A reminder, Extra Time is now a podcast. You can listen to this show as well as past shows on the go. Just search Extra Time at ABC7NY or wherever you stream your podcasts. We are back live tonight on Eyewitness News at 11. Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg will be monitoring this line of storms that's moving through the area. It's going to be rainy and gusty winds, and then it's going to get very cold. So bundle up if you go out tonight. For now, have a great night. Thanks for joining us.